we're in a series of messages this summer called the Dog Days of Summer. Um, and if you don't have a sense of humor, go find another church. We really, this is, you know, this, yeah, that's all we got, really. Um, <laughs> so, okay, Dog Days of Summer, and we've been looking at um, sort of the metaphor of getting a puppy and raising that puppy and training that puppy and feeding that puppy and washing that puppy as sort of a metaphor for our own spiritual lives and what we need to uh, feed on in terms of God's children and in terms of in, in, with respect to his word and then uh, the washing of our sins, et cetera, et cetera, would be kind of the, some of our recent themes. And you know, you really can't talk about dogs or people without talking about conflict. And so we're going to look this morning at uh, some passages in the New Testament that take up this idea of conflict between people and even more importantly, the resolution of that conflict and what, what sort of value that holds in the economy of God. So we're going to begin with the words of the Apostle Paul from the book of Colossians in chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, and uh, then we're going to jump to two different passages in Matthew and then try to tie that all together. So follow with me along in uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Then uh, the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and the guard put you in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And then from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, there am I among them. All right. So this idea of reconciliation, you see it um, repeated in several ways in these three passages. And let's just sort of uh, pause and define a term real quick. Um, You know, reconciliation, to reconcile, uh, is probably not part of our daily vocabulary You know, when your kids are fighting, you don't turn to one and say, would you please go reconcile with your sister? Maybe if you lived in England for a little while, you might say that. Um, But uh, um, so let's just define a term. And I I stole this off the uh, Merriam-Webster online dictionary. But reconciliation, being a noun, is the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. Of course, it has other definitions there. You can think of financial reconciliation on your your checkbook or something like that. But uh, I thought this one was the most appropriate. And I kind of like the simplicity of that definition, causing two people or groups to become friendly again uh, after an argument or disagreement. Conflict is inevitable in human relationships. We can, um, you know, just pick a context where there's more than one person. Um, We could take you to a kindergarten classroom, or we could take you to uh, a a church board meeting, or we could take you uh, into any of our homes, right? Uh, Wherever there are one or more I'm sorry, two or more gathered, there will be conflict, right? That's part of our human nature. Um, Jesus understood this and spoke directly to this sort of universal human quality, that we will disagree with each other and we will leave certain interactions simply flat out not liking someone else, okay? And, uh, or at least not liking the outcome. So there are two aspects of reconciliation that I want us to look at today as we're sort of taking up this idea of uh, dogfights or conflict between people. And the first uh, really is sort of that which transcends all of these contexts in which we normally have or experience our conflict. The first thing I want us to take a look at is this call to reconcile with God. 
to figure out um, what it means to be at peace with God. Um, So look at the definition this way, the act of causing humans and God to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement, all right? Um, To begin this idea of reconciliation where it is most important, and the, the premise is simply this. If we don't have peace with God internally, we really will never find or achieve true peace in our human relationships. If we're not at peace with God, we're really not going to be at peace with anyone. And I don't mean to say that um, a person can't be peaceable or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe of Gandhi or something, you know. I mean, you can, you can be a kind person, but until we really find reconciliation with God, we're, we're really not going to fully um, be able to find peace in our human relationships. That's the premise. So let's begin there, this idea that we are called to reconcile with God that we see in this passage from Colossians. And Paul is very clear that we are reconciled to God through the death of Christ. That is our entry point to finding peace and reconciliation with God, that we accept the death of his son as that which gives us uh, peace and forgiveness. We're to rely on the blood of God himself for our peace. And this is really the amazing component of Christianity that um, not only did God become human, as Paul articulates here, uh, but he willingly went and with his sinless self to the cross on our behalf to lay down his life for the sake of of our uh, reconciliation, our forgiveness, our ability to have peace with God. And Paul is uh, uh, unusually clear here that it's God himself who became human, and it's by that blood of God that we are healed, that we are forgiven that we find grace eternal. So we're to reconcile with God through the death of his son, to rely on the blood of God himself, and to move from this state of being hostile to this state of peace with God. And you see that language in what Paul is saying in the, in the passage in Colossians. Um, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so this reconciliation with God moves us from a place of separation and hostility 
to a place of peace and reconciliation and wholeness and joy in our relationship with God. And so that's where it all begins. That's where reconciliation starts for the Christian. Um, And while we are reconciled with God through the death of his son, we are reconciled into the life of Christ. And Paul makes this very clear here as well, that there is a calling to move with, that comes with our reconciliation. Um, we're not just forgiven, right? That's a wonder in and of itself that the, the blood of Christ has washed us clean spiritually. It's, it's, it's taken our sin off of us in terms of its burden. That's a marvel in and of itself. But God doesn't stop there. He says it's, this is a, a calling into holy life, into the life of Christ, into all that Christ brings with him to our lives. And so we're called to move from our sinfulness into Christ's holiness. And we're called to step into this calling to sort of engage our faith and and figure out what does this mean for my friendships at school? What does it mean for my colleagues at work? What does it mean in my house, in my home, with my family? What does it mean... Uh, anywhere in life. What does this idea uh, translate into? It's a calling to um, move in such a way that we are, and you see, you see Paul say this, there's an expectation that we're not just redeemed and, and stagnant, but that, there's, that we, we continue in the hope that we are called to in Christ. We we move towards this, this uh, life of giving and loving, and we're, we're always sort of walking in toward the hope we have in Christ. Um, you know, there's an expectation that we share with others what God has given to us through Christ. That we take what's been given to us and sort of repackage it and re-gift it, if you will, uh, to someone else. That, and you see Paul saying at the end of this passage, you know, there's this expectation that we continue in the hope of the gospel. And, And he says, and even I, Paul, became a minister of that gospel. And that's sort of the the expectation that we take what's been given to us and forward it to others. We extend to others what God has shown to us. And that sort of moves us into the second side of this idea of reconciliation. We're to reconcile with God in terms of who he is, what he has done for us on the cross, and then we're to take that and move towards others to reconcile with other people in our lives Um, the good the bad and the ugly obviously Um, but let's take a look at some of these passages from Matthew and what they say about our call to reconcile with others Uh, in Matthew chapter 5 we we saw that reconciliation is a priority Um, you have 
God himself in human form saying that if you come, if you come to worship me and you stand before the altar and there you remember that someone else has something against you, then drop what you're doing and go and be reconciled to that person. So this is a, a huge statement of priority. I have a, I have a, a cousin who's quite a character, and uh, he's, um, he's from a very, very small town in East Texas, and uh, just to sort of, you know, take you into this, uh, he, um, he, okay, so we were at a family gathering, and some, my siblings and I were just sort of uh, uh, complaining, I guess, or, or something like that, about how stubborn one of our family members was. And he just sort of laughed, and he, and he starts, like, going down the family genealogy, and he's like, you know, he was stubborn, she was stubborn, they were stubborn, we are stubborn, all right? That's, that's the genetic uh, heritage on, I won't tell you which side of my family, it's really both, but that's not important right now. And, uh, and, so, and so he was making that point, and then later in the, in the evening, he and I got on a, in a conversation about, about church, and here's, here's what he said. He's like, well, I'll, I'll do my best impersonation here. Are you ready? This is East Texas. Um, well, uh, I, I go to church with Ann every once in a while. and You know, I just can't get past. There's Jimmy Sullivan up there in the choir, and he owes me money. I did work for him, and he never paid me. Never. Not, not a penny. And I just can't get past that. I said, does Jimmy Sullivan know that he owes you money? I can't exactly quote what he said, but he darn sure better. <laughs> right? Um, so if I can, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jimmy's not here today. But, but if he was... I would like to say to Jimmy, um, before you put on your choir robe and, and go stand in front of the people of God and portend that you are holy, righteous, or that you bear the goodness of Christ, go pay your bill. Go reconcile in a, in a literal financial sense with your brother. Because you're getting in the way of other people coming to Christ. And, and we all, we're all Jimmy Sullivan. We all have uh, unreconciled, outstanding invoices hanging out there. And God says, this is a big deal, especially if you are going to be representing me on earth. I, I want you to reconcile. I want you to go find the people that you owe, have a debt to, and get it settled. Um, this is a huge priority in the kingdom of God. We have to make reconciliation a priority. And we cannot allow 
resentment to kill our chances at reconciliation. Um, you know, you can, you can hear Jesus speaking to us uh, You heard it said, you shall not murder. I'm going to skip a couple words, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Um, We come into conflict with others, and instead of reconciling those conflicts, we just let them hang out there. We say, oh, it's no big deal or whatever. And we resent that person. And that resentment builds. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a murder of sorts, Jesus is saying. It's the same uh, impulse within us that will, will stand in the way of our, both our reconciliation with God and our reconciliation with others. So where we allow resentment to build and accumulate, we're not doing the work of God. We, uh, we talked last week about forgiveness, and this is just sort of a, a reiteration of that, but in, with respect to conflict. Um, so we see that reconciliation is a priority. We're called not to allow resentment of others to kill our chances for reconciliation And Jesus tells us, run toward the conflict. Run toward the conflict. Um, And, uh, you know, this this may sound a little bit cheesy, but this is is like, uh, you know, maybe a Navy SEAL or something. You know, when I hear gunfire, uh, that's not at, you know, where I'm hunting, um, I, I want to go, my instinct is to go that way, away from it. Uh, when someone who has uh, a gospel instinct hears conflict, their instinct is to move into it, to move toward it, to figure out what it is that, that can bring Christ into this situation, that can bring peace and reconciliation and healing. And we're called to run toward conflict, not away from it. And again, um, none of us like conflict. Uh, Some of us, you know, my wife might argue that I I love conflict, right? I create it all the time. Um, But I think our impulse when, when we're uncomfortable with another person is to move away from them. And Christ is saying, no, move toward that person, move toward the conflict. This is a priority. This is important. An unresolved conflict is like a prison in which we trap ourselves because then we can't go toward that person because we're resentful and we have unresolved conflict and that makes us uncomfortable. And we sort of build these walls around our relationships at, at some point, as it re- we're reminded in verse 26, it becomes very hard to escape. Um, truly, I say to you, you will never get out 
until you've paid the last penny. Um, We're to run toward conflict, to move into uncomfortable situations for the purpose of reconciliation. Um, We can jump over to Matthew chapter 18 for a moment where we see that we are to make reconciliation a pursuit. This is an active calling that we're to move into. Um, you know, interestingly, when I read this passage, there's, there's one odd thing that stands out. Do you see it? Because in, in Matthew chapter 5, it said, if, if you're presenting your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, that you have an outstanding invoice, go settle that debt. Go go resolve that conflict. What does he say? What is the same Jesus, same book of the Bible, what does he say here? What's that? Say that one more time. Yes, so it says... If your brother has sinned against you, go, go to him and tell him his fault. Okay? Do you see that the, he's, he's got like both stinking bases covered? Because if I just had Matthew 5, and then I only have to go deal with stuff when I screw up. But with Matthew 18, I've got to go deal with stuff when somebody else upsets me. Not when I upset somebody else, or not just when I upset somebody else. You see, did you see that? Do you see? I mean, he's got us on both sides. And he says, here's the deal. It's not about whether you wronged someone else or someone else wronged you. It's about the fact that you represent me on this earth. You are my hands and feet. And I move toward conflict to resolve it, to bring peace and healing and wholeness. And that's your calling. And so we're to make reconciliation our pursuit. The initial burden is always on us. It's always on us. And what's the temptation? Well, she's the one who said that. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to wait till she comes to me and tells me she's sorry. Right? Go, seek, pursue, reconcile. Um, As we make reconciliation a pursuit, the initial burden is on us, and the spiritual authority resides in the church. This is why God gives us each other, so that when things go wrong, we have support. We have a network of people who can help sort through a conflict, who can come alongside both parties and support them and understand them and bring them to a point of reconciliation. And Jesus essentially says, you know, option A, best choice, just go, work it out between the two of you. That's the best case scenario. And not many people come to me anymore 
with these statements because I always have the same answer. But when you come to me and you're upset about somebody else in the church, I will almost always say, have you spoken with her? Have you spoken with him? Have you gone to him? Have you gone to her? Have you sought this one-on-one first? And most often the answer is, well, no, I, I'm, I was waiting for her to say something. or you, know, you, you get the idea. And I just say, well, go. And, and let me know how it works out. Just go pray. I'll pray with you and go and let me know how it goes. Um, and 99 times out of 100, that's really all it takes. Because most of you are reasonable people. Um, and uh, did I say it that way? I was excluding myself from the reasonable people category. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that sounded kind of, yeah, never mind. We're just going to keep going. There's no way. I can't dig out of that hole. Um, okay. But when, when that goes awry, when the two of us cannot work out our differences and figure out what's at the root of our conflict, God gives us a, a, a network of, of support where we have people that we both will trust who can come alongside us and figure it out. And God says, Jesus says something very interesting. This is in the context of, of conflict resolution that he says where two or more of you are gathered there I am with you this this promise that he will show up when we go to make reconciliatory gestures when we seek peace and healing and wholeness for each other Jesus is in the midst of that his presence his power his authority goes with us when we go towards each other in his name, even in the midst of conflict. Um, If you take nothing else away from these words today, just hear this. God moved toward you and me when we were hostile to him. He came and reconciled our differences on the cross at the cost of his own life. And he says to you, when you're in conflict, go, seek out a solution, reconcile, make peace. Um, That's where I show up on this earth and do my best work. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you uh, call us into the uncomfortable, that We are called to represent you on this earth. Um, Lord, we are acutely aware that we are not worthy of that calling. And yet, you remind us that when we move toward each other uh, in your name, you are there. You are present. Your power manifests itself. and, And you do your best work in the midst of our conflict. Lord, where we have sinned against others, uh, forgive us and give us the strength to go to them and make it right. And where others have sinned against us, give us the grace to forgive 
and to move toward them in peace and reconciliation. All these things we ask in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.